You are listening to the Feast Podcast from the Light of Jesus family. We share here significant and heartfelt messages for you to reflect on and pray about. May this message help prepare you to face your challenges, follow your dreams, and open yourself up to God's unlimited blessings. All right, let's say our favorite family prayer. I'm going to lead you, but do join me wherever you are. Let's all symbolize our faith in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Everybody lift up your hands and then say this with me. Today, I receive all of God's love for me. Today, I open myself to the unbounded, limitless, overflowing abundance of God's universe. Today, I open myself to God's blessings and healings and miracles. Today, I open myself to God's word so that I become more like Jesus every day. Today, I proclaim that I'm God's beloved, I am God's servant, and I am God's powerful champion. And because I am blessed, I am blessing the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody, let's all sing in honor of God's word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I pray that the word of the Lord would jump out of the page and speak right to you today. Allow me to give you now our big message, okay? If you're in the mood to write down some notes, write this down. God is inside you. God is inside you. Let me preach this, all right? Think about this. Can you imagine it? We have been doing online church for almost a year now. Did you think about that? Yes, it wasn't during February, but actually we started March and we're getting near March. It was March of 2020 when our nation announced that we're gonna lock down, thus pushing our feasts to the online world. And you know what? I would certainly say that it has been a difficult year, you know, to say the least. How many of you agree with me? You had a difficult 2020. In fact, 2021 is still very much difficult for you. In fact, I know that it's still not easy for many people. So many are still struggling right now, financially, mentally, socially, physically, you know, being physically separated from people. And if you're one of them, I am so sure that you might've asked God at least at one point during this pandemic, why are you so unfair, Lord? Can you relate to that question? Have you ever asked God that question? Maybe not during the pandemic, but maybe during your rock bottom moments, you ask God, Lord, why are you so unfair? You know, the famous author, his name is C.S. Lewis, he wrote in an essay called God in the Dock, and he said this truth that we are all suing God. What, do, what does he mean by that? We're all bringing God to court. Why? Because God broke his promise. And a lot of people might agree with that because let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like you wanted to tell the Lord, look, Lord, we had a deal. You know, the deal was real simple. My end of the deal is that, you know, I would say my prayers. I would go to church. I would try to be a good person. I would be faithful to you. And then your end of the deal is that you answer my prayers. You solve my problems. You know, you fulfill my dreams. You make me happy. But Lord, you didn't do that. In fact, you did the opposite. My mom had to die of cancer. I lost my job. My boyfriend dumped me. I'm still single at 46. I mean, you are a bad God. Some people might tell the Lord all those things, but let me, let me say this. Whoever said that that was the deal? 
I mean, this is a grave misunderstanding with a lot of people because God never promised that He will solve your every problem. I mean, think about this. If you had no problems, do you know who and what you will become? Let me paint for you a picture, okay? Imagine this very chubby baby. I mean, yes, a cute baby, but a chubby baby being rocked in a mother's arms, sucking milk from the breast, being lulled to a gentle lullaby. I mean, that sounds really good, right? That baby has no problems, zero. That's very sweet. But if you want to grow up, guess what? You will have to go through a bazillion of problems. Can I get an amen from all the people who know what it's like to have problems? You, you'll have to go through challenges and difficulties. And if you don't want problems, guess what? Don't grow up. Stay to be like that chubby baby. Here's the truth. Only problems can make you grow. I know this is a little bit hard to hear. You know, it's a strange way to say that, you know, you need problems, you need pain. But why am I saying this? Because without problems, there can be no progress in your life. You will not get stronger. You will not get wiser. Let me say this as loud as I can. If God solves your every problem, it means He doesn't care about you. Or worse, He doesn't love you. Let me explain. Because as a parent, you know, we should not always solve the problems of our children or else they will never ever learn. Because if you really, really love your kids, you know, you want them to learn how to become independent, to learn how to fend for themselves. See, that's why problems are good. Why? Because it helps you grow. It makes you grow. Help me preach this to somebody right now. Type this in. God wants you to grow. God wants you to grow. So God allows us to have problems. Why? So that we can become stronger and wiser and smarter. You know, we learn. Anyway, let's go to our scripture for today, all right? Matthew chapter 12. I want you to turn your Bibles if you have it. We're going to read a heading called the sign of Jonah. It says here in verse 38, one day some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Before we continue this, all right, let's honor first the word of God and we're going to study this together. So don't think for a minute that we're done. Okay, I want you to bow down your heads and I'm, I'm going to pray for you. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to move in the next few moments while we are together. Dear God, we know that you are here. Your very presence pervades the air. And I pray, Lord, that whoever is on the other side of the screen, if there is anything, any blockage, any hindrance that might prevent you from speaking into their life, whether it's fear, whether it's doubt, whether it's skepticism, Father, I pray that you break through into their minds, into their hearts, so that you can speak that word straight into their heart. Because the truth is, God, we all need your message. We all need your wisdom. And so allow, we allow the Holy Spirit to work in the few moments that we are together. And uh, we're just claiming wisdom, and we're claiming, Lord, miracles to happen right now. Thank you, Jesus. We honor you, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. One more time, everybody, let's all sing in honor of God's word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
Hallelujah. I am praying that God is already speaking to you. I want you to type this in in honor of what I said just earlier. I know it's not our big message, but it just came to me right now that I want you to preach it to somebody. Tell somebody right now, you need problems. You need problems. I know that our big message is God is inside you, but I, want, I just wanted you to remember that you need problems because I can certainly imagine that there are a lot of people here right now who have problems and you're questioning God. Lord, why do I have so much burdens? And it's because God wants you to grow. All right, let's be clear about that. Anyway, let's read our scripture again. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Again, it says, One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign in order to prove your authority. You know, let me just say this. This would not be the first time that people would ask Jesus to prove his power. You know, by showing a sign, a miraculous sign or a miracle. In fact, I remember while Jesus was actually suspended, while he was hanging on the cross, it says here in Matthew chapter 27, I know we're getting a little bit ahead of our readings, but let me say this in verse 41. It says that the leading priests, the teachers of religious law and the elders also mocked Jesus. And they said, he saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. So as you can see, this is not the first time that people actually asked Jesus to prove his power because they were doubting whether he was really the son of God. No wonder Jesus responded this way. Let me read to you the verse that follows that, all right? In verse 39, Jesus responds to the Pharisees this way. He says, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. And then Jesus says this, But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Let me address this for a moment, all right? I want us to park here first. How many of you have ever prayed to the Lord this way, asking for a sign? You ever ask the Lord for a sign? You know, Lord, which career path should I take? Show me a sign, please. Is this the person you want me to marry, Lord? Come on, show me a sign. Can you relate to that question? You know, have you ever prayed to the Lord for a sign? Be careful asking the Lord for a sign because as you can see in this photo, show the photo, everybody. This guy was asking for God for a sign. And guess what? God gave him a sign. <laughs> First of all, all right, let's talk about this. This is a very interesting topic. Let me say this. I want you to know that asking for a sign from the Lord is very biblical. All right, it's biblical. In fact, in the Old Testament, we find a story about a man named Gideon who asked God for a sign and th th that God's favor was upon him. And guess what? God showed him not just one sign, but three signs. So in this way, some people might say, you know, that asking for a sign from God is acceptable. But then you ask the question, what about the Pharisees? You know, they also asked Jesus for a sign, but then Jesus rebuked them and called them adulterous when they just merely also asked for a sign. Let me give you the difference, okay? I hope you're listening. I believe that our heart has to be in the right place whenever we ask for a sign. Okay, we, we never ask God for signs just so that God could prove His power. 
Okay, remember that the devil also did the same thing in the desert where he said again and again, if you are the son of God, you know, the devil said, if you are really the son of God, he wanted Jesus to prove his sovereignty, his authority, his power by asking and showing a sign. Okay, here is the key. When we ask for signs, it should be based on trust and not from doubt. Okay, let me say that again. Whenever we ask God for signs, it should be based on trust and not on doubt. In fact, let me share this through a story, okay, that I was reminded of by Facebook a few days ago. You see, 2,000 years ago, I traveled to Bali, Indonesia with some of our brother builders from the feast. Yes, you heard that right, 2,000 years ago. Why? Because that's how it felt like the last time I rode the plane. <laughs> Almost a year ago, exactly on this date, we attended a three-day retreat in Bali that was organized by the Hillsong Leadership Network. You know, it was fantastic. We met some really amazing leaders and planters from all over Asia. But anyway, here's the story. Come Sunday... You know, the brother builders and I, we were looking for a Catholic church so that we could hear Sunday Mass. And so we found one through Google. And so we went to the closest address. It said that it was just walking distance from a nearby shopping mall. Okay, so when we got to the mall, we shopped a little bit. We walked around a little bit. And, and then we asked a local where the church was. And then he pointed us to just go straight. You know, take this road, just go straight. And so guess what? We just walked straight. And we walked on and we walked on. And then just a few more minutes after that, we kept on walking on. And then we wondered if we were walking in the right direction. So we asked another local. And again, that local just said for us to just go straight. So guess what? Again, we just walked straight. But then after a few more minutes and still no sign of the church whatsoever, that's when I started to worry. I don't know about the other brothers, but for me, I can personally be honest and say I started to worry because I was getting a little bit tired, okay? We were, if, I was wondering if we were headed towards the right way. So I asked another guy and it was as if he already knew what I was going to ask. You know, this guy looks at me and then he says, yes, just go straight. I actually saw you ask the other guy. You see, don't worry. You are in the right direction. It's just right up ahead. And guess what? The church was actually just right up ahead. Here is what I learned that day. All right? It's one thing to ask God for confirmation, but to keep asking God for signs again and again and again, you see, it's not trusting, it's doubting, it's testing. When we truly trust the Lord, you see, we won't test Him. Instead, we will obey what He says because when you come to really trust the Lord, you won't actually need a sign. You just believe and obey what He says because doubting means testing while obeying means trusting. I hope that you guys are receiving this right now. This is why Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they did not believe who he was. I mean, they were mocking, ridiculing his very authority. That's why now Jesus had to mention Jonah. We're going back to Jonah, okay? You see, Jonah was this old school, Old Testament messenger of God who was sent to the people of Nineveh to call for their repentance or else they would suffer destruction. So when Jonah got to Nineveh. To his surprise, the people actually did not doubt him. 
You know, they, they believed him. They immediately turned from their evil ways and so they were spared from destruction by the Lord. See, this was the parallelism that Jesus was saying in verse 40. Let me read it to you. He says, For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Let me preach this, okay? Jonah's life was the picture of the finished work of Jesus. In the sense that Jonah gave his life to appease the wrath of God and to the people, Jesus also gave his life as a ransom to many right? To appease the wrath of sin. Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, but Jesus was also in the belly of a tomb for three days. Now, what was their commonality? Listen to this. Death tried to swallow them down, but guess what? Three days later, one, two, three, death spat them out. You see, death could not hold them down. Death could not keep them down. The resurrection power of Jesus was just too much for death to handle. Can I get an amen from somebody? And, and, and that's not all, okay? Jesus continues in verse 31. Let me read it to you. It says, The people of Nineveh will, will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it for, you know, they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now, someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Also, the queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now, someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. See, this is where Jesus finally drives home his point. Okay, he mentions that the Ninevites recognized God's warning, how? Through Jonah. And so they repented. And then he also mentions that the queen of Sheba, she recognized God's wisdom in Solomon. And guess what? She listened. Now, the Pharisees, on the other hand, they didn't repent. They didn't listen. Why? Because they failed to recognize Jesus. They failed to recognize the one who was greater than Jonah greater than Solomon himself. So Jesus says this, let me paraphrase, all right? Jesus says, you're asking for a sign? Look at me. I am God's sign. See, I am the one that you will kill and that you will bury in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. I am the sign that you are waiting for. Wait for three days and you will see that I am the sign when I get resurrected. See, this leads me to ask you this question right now. Do you recognize Jesus? Do you recognize Jesus? How will you know? Just like the Ninevites and just like the Queen of Sheba, when you truly recognize Jesus in His presence, you become contrite and you become conscious. See, that's the sign that Jesus is in your life when you are penitent and remorseful and that you are sensitive, you are attentive to His voice. See, if you're not any of this, these right now, maybe it's because you still don't recognize Him. Maybe it's time that you work on this in your life. Know who Jesus is and then have life with Him. Amen. Let me close with two very practical applications that you can do, all right? Based on the scripture that we studied. First, focus on people who are open to you. 
Okay, focus on people who are open to you. You see, Jesus did not perform a miracle for these guys because to him, it was useless. You ever have people like those in your life, you know, people who just won't believe you no matter how much you tell them, no matter how much you convince them. Stop wasting your emotional energy on them. All right, work with people who will work with you. You know, yes, pray for those people who won't work for you. Pray that God would also love them. Pray and, and, you know, love them from a distance, but distance yourself from them. In the same way that thieves don't have a right to come inside your home and your house, you can decide that haters and trolls aren't also allowed to steal your joy from you. All right, can I get an amen from somebody? Believe that there are people out there who are open to you, okay? Second, Find God in the ordinary. Find God in the ordinary. Maybe it's time that we stop searching for God only in the special, unique, extraordinary places. You see, that's what these religious leaders did. You know, and that's what some religious people are still doing now. Some people are so hyper obsessed. Let me say that. They're so hyper obsessed with the miraculous, you know, chasing after sightings of the dancing sun or the bleeding statue or this prophetess who is predicting a great global disaster that will happen on 5.58 p.m. on February 2023, for example. Don't misunderstand me, okay? I'm not saying that these supernatural events are fake. Let me point that out loud and clear. I'm not saying that they might be fake. They could be an authentic source of inspiration. But here's the thing. It's an immature faith to prefer abnormal sightings, signs, instead of mature signs. Okay? It's an immature faith. You see, immature faith is seeing God in the miraculous. But meanwhile, you can't see God in your boring husband or your, your tiresome job in, or in your cluttered kitchen. So what do you do? You escape to your religion. Here's what you need to do. Find God in the ordinary, not just in the extraordinary. Find God in the mundane day-to-day -day life that you have. Find God, for example, when you wake up in the morning, you know, believing that the rising sun is a sign of God's unconditional love for you. Find God when you're in front of your, of your work desk. Even if you, you can't see your desk anymore because it's buried under a mountain of, of paperwork. Here's what you do. Meet God in that mountain. Find God also in your daily commute, you know, recognizing Jesus in the driver. You know, find God when you're watching a teleserie. Find God when you're playing with your kids or cuddling with your spouse or laughing with your friends over some pizza. Say this with me right now and then say it again and again this week. God is in my ordinary. God is in my ordinary. And finally, do you feel ordinary? Do you feel like you are a nobody? Do you feel like sometimes you are so unspecial, unspectacular? Here's what I want you to do. Find God inside you. And then you will discover that you are absolutely special. Why? Because God is inside you. God bless you. I, I pray that this message spoke to you, but it's not done yet. Please welcome everybody, Brother Bo Sanchez. God is living in you. Wow. I mean, 
can you just sink your teeth first in that amazing, amazing truth? God, the Almighty, the one who created every single atom in this universe, Alpha, Omega, first and last, beginning and the end, the one and only God. Where does he live? Right there. That's what we believe. If you really believe in that truth, you know what's going to happen? I'll show you. It will blow your mind. And it will affect the way you live. If you really believe that God is there reciting the one and only God, living, breathing, talking, walking, working, living, serving God, right there, right there. Like, you look, he's there, he's inside. You know what's going to happen? You're going to change the way you think about yourself, the way you treat yourself, the way you treat other people, the way you live every single day, the way you tackle problems, the way you reach for your goals and dreams. You know, it's going to affect all of this if you really believe that God is living inside you. Hi, my name is Bo Sanchez. Welcome to the feast. But I need to go now to the, because Jesus, you know, he, he spoke those words and you received two messages. I'm going to give two more because he started speaking about a haunted house. You know, what in the world? You know, but, but uh, let's read. This is so interesting. Um, Jesus said, when an evil spirit, he was talking to the Pharisees, leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home, what? Empty, swept, and in order. Oh, then the spirit finds seven other spirits uh, more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And so the person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Can I share with you my interpretation of that passage? And, and by the way, this is just my interpretation, my opinion. Disagree with me, that's fine. Uh, no problem with that. But my personal guess is this. I believe that Jesus was talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the haunted houses. <laughs> In the sense that uh, there were seven demons already there. They've come back and have conquered their lives. Proof. They wanted to kill Jesus. Jesus was feeding the hungry and healing the sick and the lepers, doing all sorts of good, and you want to kill the guy? Hello, there's something demonic about you. But here was the point of Jesus, and this is just, again, my personal opinion, that once upon a time, the Pharisees had no demons in them. The house was in order. The house was swept clean. The house was okay, demonless. But then why did the demons come back? Ah, why was it in order? I'll tell you why. The Pharisees were observers of the law. They were obedient to the law. The point? The law is not enough. There's only one thing that can fill up your emptiness. Are you empty now? Are you searching and longing and thirsting? Let me tell you, following the rules, following the law, ethics, morality, they're great. They're amazing. We should follow them. But it's not enough to fulfill your emptiness. Only God and God's love can fill up the emptiness in you. Which brings me now to the third lesson for this entire talk. The third lesson is this. Never be 
complacent. What does that mean? Well, do you want to change your life? Do you want to change the direction of your life? Then you've got to understand this. And I got this from the story of the haunted house of Jesus that Jesus shared a while ago, the, uh, that you can never destroy evil. You can't. You can only disconnect your life from evil. At least in this world, okay? At least in this planet, that's... that's seems like the truth. It's like, you know, the demon leaves the person and then comes back with seven. It's like, okay, you can't destroy evil, but you can disconnect. Meaning to say, it can also reconnect. Ouch. Which reminds me of the Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, this worldwide movement that has been able to rehabilitate millions of alcoholics. They have a principle, a universal principle that goes this way. Listen carefully. An alcoholic will always be an alcoholic. Sounds discouraging, right? Sounds scary. <laughs> and that's why when you attend an AA small group meeting, each participant is supposed to introduce himself or herself in this way. Hi, my name is Rick. I'm an alcoholic. Even if Rick has not touched alcohol for, say, 34 years, he still calls himself an alcoholic. It's like, that's weird. But you see, I, I understand the rationale. I do. That for the Alcoholics Anonymous, they want Rick to know that this is his weakness for the rest of his life, and therefore, he should never be complacent. He should never put his guard down. Never. He can slip back easily. He can reconnect to evil. Which brings me to point number four. And, and, you know, basically it's this, that when you say no to sin, you need to say yes fully to God. You can't just say no to sin. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to get rid of sin from my life. I need to say yes to a new set of friends, a new set of lifestyle choices, a new set of habits. You know, it's a whole, whole package. Saying no means saying yes, flip side. Again, um, number one, never be complacent. Here's, I'm sorry, number three, never be complacent. Number four is you've got to put God at the center. Remember what Jesus said, you know, the demons leave, but they're able to come back. Why? It's empty. You, it cannot be empty. Uh, which again brings me to another reflection that you can never really remove a bad habit. You can only replace it with a good one. And can I go personal? Um, I've shared this with you before that I had a pornography addiction. It started when I was molested as a child and I hated myself. I was just despised, disgusted with myself. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I longed and thirsted for, thirsted? Never mind. <laughs> I, I, I was pining for love. I was hungry for love. I was thirsty for love because I hated myself. So it was empty. And emptiness is painful. And that's why I went to pornography, because pornography was my painkiller. You got that? Okay. How did I get healed? Healed. I learned to love myself the way God loved me. I learned to see myself the way God saw me. And so that emptiness was slowly filled with God's love. And then I realized that my, my hunger and thirst for the painkiller, pornography, little by little disappeared. So you can never really replace 
a bad habit. I'm sorry, you can't remove a bad habit. You can only replace it. Because there will always be this, this emptiness inside. And which brings me to this truth, and I hope you're listening really, really carefully to this, that only the habit of love can replace the habit of an addiction. I hope you're listening so well right now. Chew on those words. Do you have an addiction? Do you have a bad habit? I want you to come before the Lord. It may come from an emptiness. And at the end of the day, when you get rid of sin, I'll say it again, when you get rid of sin, the throne of your heart is still empty. Don't let it remain empty. Let God be at the center and let God love you. Let God accept you as you are. Let God wash you, purify you, transform you with his love. Let God tell you, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I love you, child. Let's live our lives together forever in unity, in union. And so this union, this love will change you and will transform you. Um, let me end. Um, I'm an old guy, uh, semi-old. <laughs> and in 1991, I remember that if you bought a branded computer in the on the box, there'd be this sticker. And the sticker says, Intel inside. Remember that? So, you know, it, that sticker was like the mark of quality. It's like all the other parts can come from different manufacturers, but the most important part would come from, the, from Intel. The best microchip or whatever, computer chip manufacturer of the world. Um, the reason why I share that with you is because there's a sticker on you. It's invisible. It says God inside. And every part of you can fail, but not this part, not God. God inside you. This is a game changer for you, my dear friend. If you're listening to me right now, this is a game changer. This is supposed to change your entire life if you really believe that God is dwelling, living, breathing, walking, working, loving inside you. It will change your life forever. The way you talk, the, the way you work, the way you think of other people, the way you, the way you serve the God inside you. You're not empty. Let his love continue to flood your soul. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Light of Jesus family. For more messages like these, please visit lightfam.com slash podcasts.